Hello, everyone, and welcome to Going for the Green Daily Rotos Golf Podcast. I am Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. I am joined by Colin Drew, Drewby, here for yet another week because because Drew and Mike they they just they they're they're tossing this off to me, the new guy, because they don't want to talk about uh, about the Bob Hope Classic. <laughs> yeah, they're not they're not ready to dip back into golf yet. I think we got Mike uh, lined up for next week to to bring him out of the woodwork a little bit. Uh, Drew's still licking his wounds, I guess, from the close of last year, but hopefully he'll be on soon too. I mean, I don't I don't mind. I didn't like when we when we signed up. I think there was a lot of ambiguity as to like exactly what I'd be doing day to day. I do not mind talking about golf. It's probably my probably my second favorite professional sport overall. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the PJ Pod is is great. It's one of the one of the easy ones to do once a week, so it's not too much of a grind as far as like I don't know all the the daily sports, hockey and stuff like that stuff can be a grind after months. But golf, you know, I'm I'm always excited basically through through August and then it's football season, so should be a good one. Um, yeah, definitely. If if you are a fan of the podcast, support it. Leave us a rating review. Click the subscribe button. Um, and obviously, if you want to join for the 2019 season, you can save 10% with the promo FNTSY. Um, and yeah, anything you can do to help us. It's a free podcast. We like to keep it free. So if you like it, support it. We use the data golf tools. You'll get access to those using uh, the promo code FNTSY to save 10%. Sony open recap. Matt Kuchar started Sunday pretty shaky. I think he bogeyed three of the first four holes, but had a birdie in there as well. And then just absolutely pulled away. Basically when, uh, when Putnam stopped just rolling in every 20 foot putt, Kuchar, uh, he really pulled away. Did you, did you have success last week? Did you hit any outrights or top fives? Uh, no outright top fives. The head to head betting was pretty good, but in general losing week for me, I had Kuchar on a third of my teams, but, um, I had a bunch of disasters basically in every lineup, a lot of Casey and Scott either together tor- torpedoing entire lineups or the two of those guys separated torpedoing individual lineups. So, um, I don't know. It was, uh, it was a bad week, but I wouldn't say it was, it was frustrating. Um, it, if anything, I, it was somewhat to be expected, just some question marks early in the season about, how guys were prepared. And if, I mean, when I saw the price on Casey and I saw the ownership, I just knew exactly where that was going. My, uh, my, my correlation of guys who had already played in this, in uh, the TOC who were already down there playing in Hawaii looked pretty good. Yeah, definitely. That definitely ended up being something that was advantageous. Um, I think the projections were solid for the most part. I know Putnam was a really strong value and obviously at his price and his performance, that was a big thing. And, um, in general, it was a, another chalky week, so I'd say back-to-back kind of chalky weeks. Um, Chez, relatively popular. Uh, Leishman was, I guess, contrarian for the the way he was priced, but you're never going to get a top 10 player in the field at single-digit ownership. And then CH3, uh, you know, we were talking before, at, like Scott Piercy ended up actually crushing from a DraftKings perspective despite finishing outside the top 30. Yeah, uh, for me... The only thing that went right was I the guy I decided to go 100% on in terms of like seeing predicted ownership was Patrick Reed. He like did just okay. He wasn't even great from a DraftKings scoring perspective. He just had like a pretty middling result. But of course, at the Tournament of Champions, I locked in Kucher into 100% of lineups and then uh, of course didn't have him for the blowaway victory. Keegan played pretty well, which is, uh, I mean, that's always a victory for data golf when Keegan plays well, right? Yeah, definitely. The winning lineup was 105% owned. So that's something I'll be trying to check each week and talk about a little bit. Um, So 
again, it felt like the chalk did well, but that's not a crazy, um, crazily high owned lineup, but it definitely kind of mixed and match some of the different plays that were maybe contrarian in a given price band. Um, a lot of the stuff going on about Kucher stiffing his caddy on the tip. I thought that stuff was pretty funny. Pretty funny. Yeah. Have, have you ever been tipped for your touting services by somebody who did well? Yes. <laughs> but I think I'm a pretty unique uh, example in that. Yeah. Yeah. I, there was uh there's one, one relatively high stakes player who will randomly like just DM you for your PayPal information and send, and send PayPal sometimes if he has big scores in some of the niche sports. So yeah, same, same. I, he's, he's a good guy. Can uh can't rat out names, but uh, I would say outside of that, no no tips in touting. Uh, probably probably for fair though. Probably don't deserve any tips in touting. Yeah. So now we have to uh, we have to get to what is now being billed as the Desert Classic because literally this tournament is so anti marketable that they don't even have a sponsor. This was the Career Builder Challenge for the last several years and used to be called the Bob Hope Classic. I actually think probably back in like the 60s 70s and 80s this was like more of like a cool tournament that more people watch on tv it is actually a pro-am people forget that it's a pro-am everyone knows pebble beach is but uh so it's a three course rotation the stadium course is a par 72 uh it's about 7100 yards the nicholas course has no shot tracker so there won't be any strokes gained strokes gained data it's also a par 72 la quinta is the third course also does not have uh, the shot tracker, so no strokes gained. And La Quinta, I believe, is the easiest course that will be played on the PGA all year long. It's just basically a resort course. Yeah, so everyone's going to play three rounds on each of those courses, and then the fourth round will be um, a cut and playing the stadium course again. The pro-am portion will be done for the fourth round, so at least the the Sunday viewing, not that anyone's going to be watching it with how good the NFL games are this weekend, but um, the Sunday viewing, if you happen to be in the 1% of the GPP and you decide to sweat it, will at least be a little bit faster as far as the rounds. Um, I guess the three rounds before the cut, a little bit of impact on strategy. I think in general with um, no cut events, I'm going to try to be a little less contrarian this year than I have in the past just because the cut is one of the, like the variance inducers that you can leverage if you're contrarian. And if, if you don't have that, then there's not quite as much of a benefit uh, from a guy missing two entire rounds. And then I think you can also just be a little bit more aggressive on DK scoring. I was kind of toying around with optimal lineups. If I was to set a um, you know floor on players needing to be inside of the top 20, like with 20% on CT20 versus 15%, and it definitely expands the field a little bit. And a lot of the the optimals this week are going to build through guys like Rose, Rom, Cantlay, and you're going to need the salary cap. And I do think you can be a little bit more aggressive chasing some of the DK scoring, knowing that you get three guaranteed rounds and the fourth round's on the toughest of the courses. So um, if a guy misses a cut, you might only be missing out on, you know, 10 to 15 DK points. And if that sacrifice allows you to grab the winner, then it's it's going to be a worthwhile one. So um, maybe a bit more stars and scrubs, I guess, for me from a strategy perspective. Do you think that the balanced, like, contrarian approach this week is viable given those factors? Because, like, so divorcing it from like the actual like math of it just the the idea that john rom and justin rose account for 25 percent of like the win equity in a tournament just makes me feel like i would just much like i would rather just jam in a bunch of ak guys that rather than play the guys that are 25 to win you, well just because i think like i am not a justin rose guy there's a little bit of weirdness with him like switching the clubs 
you know, so on and so like, and not even from like, I don't think Justin Rose is that good, but just like the ownership is going to be so crazy on those guys. And I don't know if there's a ton of differentiation between the 8k guys and the 10k guys, for example. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends where the ownership shakes out. Um, right now, it doesn't seem that that crazy, but if it gets pretty crazy, then I, I would say in general, balance contrarian, I think it's always viable because outside of um, Rom Rose, and I guess I would throw Cantlay not quite into the mix, but kind of a clear cut above the rest. I agree that there's not a ton separating like Charles Howell and like C. what's C. the Anderson what's the real Daniel. difference between between Adam Hadwin and, and uh, Ryan Palmer like they, they have to be pretty close in data golf projections yeah I think it's it's pretty minimal couple percentage points so I think um, the balance contrarian I think is almost always going to maximize your odds of getting six to six through the cut and um, I do think a lot of lineups will start with at least one one guy above 10k so i think there's always like a viable if you're building multiple lineups i think balance contrarian always has some merit but if i was only building a couple it would be hard for me to kind of pass up on um one of the guys up top but i think we can when we talk about the individual players there's definitely some um risks or concerns with rows at least how much are you really trying to look at uh like the course rotation in terms of the weather is that something you're like really paying attention like obviously like guys who are playing la quinta and the winds probably have a little bit of a disadvantage if they're going out on la quinta on thursday and it's windy because that's the course where they should be getting strokes yeah it's tough i think actually hadwin suggested that playing la quinta in the wind might have been a benefit um like avoiding the stadium course in the wind but sure. I, I think to me, it's, that would be like a, the starting course would be minor. I think it matters for betting and it definitely matters for showdown. I know a lot of our subscribers uh, like, like to play showdown and that's something that will matter for those events specifically. Um, La Quinta has consistently been the, not consistently, but over the course of three years, more often than not has been the easiest relative to par. And over that full time period, it's definitely the easiest relative to par. Um, but I think that the Nicholas course actually has been very close relative to DraftKings scoring. Um, and so when you take that into account, I think that those are closer to ties for showdown. And if the books don't adjust for the starting course on their first round leader bets, there could be an opportunity there. So I would kind of be looking at La Quinta and Nicholas for showdown um, specifically and, and then be looking maybe at La Quinta to see if there's any first round leader value. So talking about course history now, is there anyone that really leaps out at you as a guy who just, he just loves to play the, the, the career builder, the, the desert classic? Yeah. I mean, Adam Hadwin, like, I don't know if he loves to play it, but the, the last three years, third, second, sixth, since the new course rotation went into effect, definitely is going to like the price on him is very uncomfortable. Um, but the course history is, is real. And uh, it's going to be a tough one. He was, relatively popular last week um and you know yeah i bet him i bet him out right <laughs> yeah I think like so i i guess i think people are going to be happy with the course history they're going to be happy he's at least playing last week but the price tag will end up being a challenge um in general i was kind of trying to look through the list a little bit and just get a little bit of a feel for the profile just because the um, stadium course is the only one with strokes gain data. It does seem to over-index a little bit in strokes gained approach and off the tee play compared to the traditional course. And it's kind of a bunch of medium length like ball strikers when I think about it. So you have like Hadwin, Kuchar, um, Ryan Palmer, Jason Duffner, 
Keegan Bradley, Francesca Molinari, Zach Johnson, Charles Howell, like a bunch of guys who are kind of above average tee to green. And for the most part, those guys are below average putters. So, um, and that's across all the courses for, for data golf. So I, I do think um, that would be the, if there is a course fit or a profile, that would be the, the way to go. But I kind of think you're, you're going down that path anyways, looking at the field. Are you gonna are you gonna move the the course history filter over a little bit when you run projections this week with the data golf stuff? I don't think so. It's just it's just gonna get me onto some pretty bad plays. Just like a lot of a lot of a lot of <laughs> I I mean bunters can do well here just because none of it's that long and there are some there are some really short there are some really short uh, holes basically. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you definitely don't have to, I mean, the short guys can for sure contend. You definitely don't have to be long. So um, I don't know. I mean, you look at the field though, and it's not like, there's not like a ton of bombers in here where like, you don't see like JB Holmes or anything like that. Um, obviously Rom is up there, but you're not going to fade one of the best players in the field just because like he happens to also be able to hit the ball far. So um, I don't know. No, the hitting the ball, hitting the ball for hitting the ball far on a short course is an edge. It just doesn't disqualify guys who are shorter. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It just, it just makes the second shot easier. Yeah. And the other thing I'm trying to think about a little bit is for some of the guys, it's their first event. Um, and then there's a couple of guys who have played twice already. So CH3, Putnam, Kazir, Piercy, Landry have all played two events to start the season. Um, and so there's a little bit more data there. And then some of the guys like Rose can't lay list, Phil, like really popular names. Um, Daniel Berger, guys like that, Neiman, it's their first event. So trying to weigh that a little bit, um, at least, at least at a minimum to manage exposure to golfers, if not to kind of toggle the projections a tiny bit. I think I will be boosting the guys who have already played twice a little bit when I go to run through. I have, I haven't like ran the projections for optimal lineups yet, but that is like my plan. Yeah, yeah, I, I could I could see that. I think most of the guys, it's like I don't know, they're almost priced there, like already. Oh, I mean, yeah, like the the pricing is pretty efficient, and it's in it's in the uh, the market or whatever. But like, and those guys who have already played twice, like CH three and Piercy in particular, are like good plays. Yeah, I think they're good good plays. Like CH3 maybe overpriced, but definitely a solid play. He kind of has the top five. I mean, can kind of transition into the 10K plus range to talk about Charles Howell III a little bit. Um, a little bit higher overpriced than we're used to paying. I definitely think Cantlay is a, a much better golfer long-term, and sure. Charles Howell kind of tends up to, to beat up some of these weak fields, but he is coming in with good form, so 14th and 8th last two weeks, and then – Never missed a cut here. Um, hasn't finished higher than. That's got to be true of him. If you, every course you could say yeah. Charles Howell never missed the cut. Has also never finished higher than twelfth. You could just like string those two right. sentences together. Yeah, he had like a second way back. But I mean, yeah. it feels like he's a really so solid bet to finish inside the top twenty. But at ten k, I'm not sure that's really enough. And like we kind of said, there are a bunch of other guys who are cheaper that could match that. So um, right now, my lean would be to to not play Charles Howell or Adam Hadwin, who's priced up off that course history. I, I will have zero Adam Hadwin this week. I feel confident saying that. Yeah, and so I, I think um, I would be, like those would be the first two fades for me, unless um, the pendulum swings and they end up coming in at really discounted ownership. It's always tough early in the week to understand like the conversation, how much of it's being controlled by what people want to do versus kind of like the, the talking points, right? So course history is the first thing people are going to talk about, but 
doesn't necessarily mean they're going to play the guy. And then they're going to talk about recent form as well. And so that's why the ownership is higher to start the week. I think on Howell and Hadwin, we'll see where it goes. It would be really surprising to me to see Cantlay actually go off at lower ownership than both those guys. But if it, if it ends up being the case, then I'm going to have no Howell and Hadwin and I'll have uh, plenty of Cantlay. Reasonable. If you had to choose between Rom or Rose, you had to, you had to just run one of those guys out. Which one do you choose? Definitely a tricky situation. Um, If the ownership ends up being almost twice as high on Rom, then I would run out Rose and I would just, I think that will be the case because there's all this chatter about Rose and the clubs. And like, I think maybe he hasn't played in a while. I think maybe he played in like Indonesia or something and, and was really bad. Yeah. He hasn't played in the pat in a month. Um, and, but he had decent form like before that, like it was 17th in his last event, but like third, first, third. And, but that, then we're all of a sudden we're talking like three months ago, right? He just hasn't right. been playing a ton and, and Rom has been in good form as well. Um, and obviously Rom winning last year and then having a decent sh- showing in the first event of this year, I think will probably lead people to him. There, those concerns with Rose are definitely real though. And that, like the, the not playing like isn't ideal. And then the fact that he's playing with new clubs, which it just seems bizarre given the season he had last year that um, obviously it's like money and sponsor driven. I mean, yeah, if you're, I would also, I would also, uh, I would, if someone wanted to pay me uh, $12 million to use their clubs, I don't know the actual number. I assume it's a lot for him to want to change up after that season. Like I, I think that's a no brainer. Can't, can't hold it against the guy. Yeah. So I, I mean, those are definitely concerns. I, I'll just end up um, swallowing my, my tongue a little bit and, uh, playing Rose if the ownership ends up half there. But there's enough, um, not red flags, but yellow flags that I would cap my exposure to him at a lower level than I might given the situation otherwise. Yeah. Um, 10, uh, 10K and below. I, I mean, Putnam Putnam has to be one of the easiest excludes like ever. Like he just was making every putt last week. Yeah, I think it's TD Green metrics were okay. He definitely was putting lights out. Uh, gonna try to see where ownership ends up landing on him. Like, I mean, you you mentioned wanting to play guys who have played twice, and he's played twice and plays played pretty well both times. He's been um, good both weeks. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's not a clear fade. He's he's overpriced for sure, but I think it's maybe he's like a thousand dollars overpriced, and because of that, like zero people are gonna play him, and he could be like sub ten percent. I would play him at sub ten percent if it if it gets above 10%, then I'll probably look elsewhere is my initial lean there. Um, 9k range is definitely, a, looks like it's going to be a pretty popular one. You mm-hmm. have Phil wise answer, Chez, Piercy list. This like is all, just like DFS, like DFS, it, Twitter, like everyone loves, everyone loves wise. Everyone loves Chez. Everyone loves Piercy and everyone really loves Luke list. Yeah, and and then I think like answers become like the guys who were playing during the swing season. He was a pretty popular guy there, and then you have Phil right in the mix as well. So uh, this this range is going to grab a bunch of ownership, um, potentially leading it just to be over owned as a range on the whole. Uh, list is going to rate really strongly. I guess at at his price, I, I'm still comfortable playing him up to like 15, 20% ownership. I still think he is um, underpriced enough and not just his like top 20 odds, but his ability to score from a DraftKings perspective would make that one um, that like I'm comfortable at 15 to 20% ownership still playing him. 
I uh, I just like I never know if playing Luke List is actually good or if I just like to play him because I like him so much. Like I, I assume I I haven't even looked yet, but I bet he is a negative value for us on Data Golf. He is not a negative value. He is wow the, the highest rated play in um, this range. Wow, below, below Patrick Cantlay. Yeah, I'm 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 pretty impressed by Believers. that. Yeah, true believers in Luke List. Let's see. I mean, what what is he? Let's. I got to see what he's at to win the tournament now. Because if he's at a decent number, I'm just going to bet him right now while we're on this. Yeah, I think I probably need to go do this. It is only a negative 11% EV bet. All right, we're, we're booking it right now on this. I'm losing 11% EV. But you know what? If he's in contention on Sunday, I'm going to be super happy about it. A lot of entertainment value picked up. I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest. I love watching professional golf so much and like having an outright bet sweat is like one of the absolute best things in golf that like I, me personally fish, not a professional better or DFS player the way that you and Drew and Mike are like, I, I do not mind losing EV and outright bets. Uh, I would say Drew is a professional DFS player. <laughs> I don't think any of us are professional betters. <laughs> well, Just, okay, uh, yeah, yeah, true. Fish on a massive heater in 2018 for me, but New Year, <laughs> New Year. So new year, we'll, new, we'll see new how quickly year. I can give it back. So favorite DFS play 9K range, uh, the guy that you are most excited to play? Uh, I mean, it's List, I think. Um, I'm also reasonably excited to play Ches Revy. Um I, I don't know how much of a boost he'll get on ownership. I think there's enough names there that maybe it won't get crazy. Um, but I mean, list is definitely the the guy that I'm most excited to play in this range. Um, and then Putnam would be a guy if he's sub 10% that I would be excited for in MME, but I don't think I could stomach it in like a three max build. So sub sub nine K guys that rate out as negative values all right in a row. How, how nice for us. Kisner, Harmon, Kazire. No, thank you. Yeah, and most of those were pretty consistent um, with with previous weeks. So you can kind of see, despite some of the short-term form, Data Golf's model is not going to make huge adjustments off that. Probably the, the I guess, the one that I have the most concern about fading would be Kazir, just because it's multi, you know, multi-time winner on tour, and then his short-term form is, is decent. Um, but I think the price is pretty elevated. So... I think that kind of erases a chunk of the value. And I, I do think he's going to see ownership. So um, I, I like him maybe a little bit better than the projections do. I maybe would consider him closer to like JJ Spawn, but I don't think I like him enough to play him at that ownership level. Um, Kisner, I guess, has got to like a point, if he's like sub 5% owned, that I'd consider trying to bump into the player pool a, a little bit just because um, – I think that ownership level for a guy who's at least live to to top five the event would be uh, an MME play for me. Glover's actually one of my favorite guys to play when he's priced like this in these bad fields just because he's such a horrible putter that if he even runs like at like plus one strokes gain putting, he's pretty much guaranteed to have like a good weekend. Oh, yeah, Glover. Oh man. But I mean, the I mean, chance of him like missing five footers to miss the cut is like very, very real. Yeah, at least you get you got three rounds out of him. Um, he hasn't played for a long time. Long time. Yeah. He's been hanging out with his wife, and you never know if that's. Oh good. yeah, that's right. He's the one. His wife like gets mad when he misses the cut. 
Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, Glover, he definitely raced out as a really strong play and the ownership is, I mean, it's fine on him. So I, I'll probably have some, but I'm definitely not going to load up on Lucas Glover after back-to-back losing weeks. (laughs) Uh, Ryan Palmer, I mean, to me, they're basically the same player, more or less, and they're basically the same ownership. Um, I would consider both of them, but I would try to make sure I'm not pairing them up in the same lineups just because I don't think I can do that to myself. How much do you go through when you are running the optimizer and go, like, do do you set that grouping beforehand, like, don't want these guys in the same lineup? Um, you set, do you set your groups like pretty pretty concisely? It de- it depends on the week. If I am me, I spend a lot of time on that stuff just because I think you need to. If it's a hand built lineup or I'm building like ten teams, I can I'll kind of like build with the optimizer, load them, and then manually tweak them. Um, I, for the most part, I'm not doing things like avoiding two two golfers. Um, but look at you building ten lineups by hand. If it gets over three, if it gets over three for anything, I'm running it on some optimizer. I'm just oh, like, I run I'm an building. optimizer and then I tweak by hand. That's how, kind of how I do hockey too. Um, the one question I wanted to ask: so with the the different course rotation and stuff, are you considering stacking a certain starting course? I, I think it totally makes sense to stack course starts this week. Not not really of anything perceivable like oh the weather's bad here or whatever like not trying to project it but honestly just trying to capture like some start time that plays super easily relative to the others yeah i probably won't total sense i I think it makes a little bit of sense i probably won't end up doing it i think if anything i might go through and try to bump the guys in the projections a little bit if i think there's an edge to like a certain starting course or something like that rather than like force a stack um but I guess I could be swayed by that. I kind of did. the weather looks like it's going to be like 20 mile per hour gusts on Thursday right now, but beyond that it looks pretty calm. So you're talking about like a tiny bit of a weather advantage one day on, on one course um, with like an unknown impact. So right. I probably won't go crazy there. I, and this range, I might do it on like two teams. Like I'm not, I'm not doing that as my like strategy for the week. Yeah. Um, CT Pan, I think, and Sunjay M, I think are really strong plays like Hudson Swafford. He's probably not going to be the 30% owned that I haven't projected at, but it seems like enough has happened that he's going to be chalk. And that's for sure the easiest fade on the board for me. You think, you think that's the easiest fade on the board? Hadwin is the easiest fade for me out of everybody. Yeah. Swafford is the easiest for me. Oh um, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Swafford. Let's actually talk about this a little bit. So it, we are recording this on Tuesday around noon. Uh, so, you know, ownership projections, we don't want to talk too much about it, but Swafford is pretty much the debt. Like if I was making a, a PGA DFS one one video for our subscribers, and I was trying to come up with an example of like chalk to fade, it would be a guy like Hudson Swafford, who's around 40 to one, who's priced above 8k and who's projected at like 15 to 30 percent ownership yeah easiest tournament fade um i I mean you could almost go through double ups and find users that played swafford and i think he's a pretty bad play in that format too and just write their names down and send them head to heads send them head to heads that's uh that's a if if someone ever sends you a head to head that uh that pretty much means you messed something up in the last slate (laughs) there's this one guy pocket sloppy who always sends them to me in hockey i don't i haven't played cash games in hockey in a long time but i must have done something a couple years back that really stuck with him (laughs) you uh do you have anybody out there is playing swafford and cash you can send me a head to head if you want and leave the notes swafford and cash leave the note leave the notes swafford and cash and he'll accept it for any dollar amount 
Uh, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> not any dollar. <laughs> um, I really like Bo Hostler. Just like he's a guy, he's a guy that I kind of play a lot. He doesn't rate out as a super uh, great player or anything like that, though. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's solid. Um, maybe a bit trendy, so he might grab the ownership. I'd. I'd like Sanjay M and CT Pan. I think the the most for tournaments. Um, I would kind of mix and match those guys before hustler but i think just in the price range it, like this range is one where i imagine i'll grab bits and pieces of of most of the guys um except for hudson swafford uh starting at the seven thousand dollar range i noticed that charles swartzel parl swartzel as we uh, as we call him around these parts if you if you just run the regular data golf weights uh he does not rate out as like a, a really a someone who would show up in optimals at all. But if you adjust the long-term form, he comes back into play and he might be someone that I would take like a 10% stand on or something like that this week, just because I, I do like that long-term form for him is good. Yeah. I think uh, that that all makes sense. And it kind of aligns with the the season he, he had last year. And so um, if he was able to figure something out in the off season, um, then maybe you could capture some upside at sub 5% ownership. And that seems like a range and a price tag where that that's the ownership that it would have. Um, Daniel Berger, Zach Johnson, uh, Berger are, are both interesting for different reasons. I think uh, they, they kind of fit the course mold um, decently well. Berger hasn't played this season, so getting the first glimpse of him, not sure what the ownership will be like. Um, it will be it will be high. Yeah, that's what I, mean, I figured. Yeah. And then ZJ, I think the ownership will come up a little bit, but disappointing showing last week might keep it down. And I, I think that's another case where I would still go back to the well and roster him even at like 10% ownership just because uh, he rates out as a pretty good value. The price tag is reasonable and he kind of fits all the different types of roster constructions, whether you're going top heavy or you're going with a more balanced approach. And I think like Kucher, um, he didn't play well last week, just like Kucher hadn't played well the week before, but maybe playing and not playing well is better than, than not playing at all and not knowing how I do. I do. I do think that I do think that playing and not playing super well is better than not having any play all the last week. Yeah. So I guess that like brings me back to ZJ and he actually, um, so it's pretty rare that guys rate out as like good values in the outright betting markets that are more like name brands from a household perspective, but I think Zach Johnson is like 65 to one on Sportsbook, and actually Data Golf has that as a plus EV bet. Um, so maybe you can capture the the back to back with Kucher, ZJ, super boring golfers, good course fits, and didn't play well the week before, but at least they played. Can you guess who you think my favorite play is in this range from 8K to like seven and a half, seven point five? Um, I, I'm considering I'm considering just like an all in, just like making ten teams hundred percent this dude. So my <laughs> uh I've there's three guesses. I, I know you like Peter Uline, but I don't think you hundred percent are I would I would never. I would never. I'm I'm not I'm a fish, but I'm not that bad. <laughs> you might might do that with Neiman though. No, no. See, because I was not into golf as much last year as in years past, I kind of missed the whole Neiman as like the new PGA DFS guy. It's, it's Danny Willett. 
Willett, like, mm-hmm. Willett, I don't actually think he's that bad. I think that he's priced down here because he hasn't played recently. But, like, the the recent samples of him were, were like, he was bad in the swing season. But before that, in, in the European tour, he's, like, been decent. Yeah, I guess he, I mean, won his last event. Um, I, I mean, I, I missed out on Willett at the Masters, and I feel like I just haven't rostered him since, and I haven't really <laughs> regretted it too often. But I, I will say that all in on Danny Willett at 3% ownership was not where I saw you going when you, when you started that conversation. I mean, it's just like this guy, I just don't, I don't see how Danny Willett can be the same price in this event as, as Richie Warinsky or whatever, you know, like, I just, I just think he's a good, I just think he is a good long-term form bet. And if I, if I'm willing to, if I'm willing to eat some losing weeks to make a stance, I want to do it on guys with long-term form like Danny Willett. Yeah. Well, I'll take, I'll take Richie Wierenski head to head versus Willett. What's uh, what are the, what are the odds on that? Are the, do, uh, I don't know. That was just a, that was just a, my own prop for you. Yeah. We should do, do you want to look that for 25? Yeah, yeah let's do it. All right. Richie Wierenski versus Danny Willett. There we go. This is the this now is we're the talking about stuff. sexy sexy golfers. So. Yeah, you only you only get this on uh, on going for the green. Uh, Peter Uline actually rates out as a positive value, as does Joaquin Neiman. Yeah, I think Neiman's going to be very heavily owned. Uh, Uline, yes. I, I like as a contrarian tournament play, definitely would prefer him over Willett. All that, all all of those guys, or like I mean, Willett Willett is like going to be very low owned, and I would not be surprised if he ends this tournament at like plus six and is just like goes home and talks on Twitter about how American fans are the worst. Yeah, Neiman Neiman's a tough one for me to decide on. Like I tried to mention at the beginning, like I'm probably going to try to play a little bit less contrarian this week than I would others, just because you're guaranteed three full rounds. Um, that said, he's still twenty percent owned, and that's a pretty heavy number for anybody in, in DFS golf and a lot of the pivots off of him, whether it's Hadley or Siwoo Kim or Fratelli or Charlie Hoffman, they all rate as close to coin flips or slightly worse plays that are going to be a fraction of the ownership. And um, that's like the struggle basically this week. If it was a cut event, I would definitely just um, take an underweight stance on Neiman and then try to grab more of these guys with the the three rounds extended. Uh, I'm a, a little bit less sure, but it's, it, you're kind of getting like guys who are coin flipping a head to head at, you know, half or in some cases like 20% less ownership. Yeah. Um, we have a very high ownership projection on Corey Connors. What are you, what are you doing with that? Um, yeah, I think the ownership projection is way too high right now, but he's still going to be uh, reasonably popular off of the start last week. So I, I won't have, I don't imagine I'll have any Corey Connors just, like not an egregious play outright. I just think the price is kind of fair. And I think the, like the, the one sample, one event sample is going to bring too much ownership there. Yeah. Um, any other really cheap guys you want to talk about before we talk about some uh, betting stuff? No, I mean, I, I think in general, I think the, the there's so much concentrated ownership um, and like the mid seven range that I kind of like a bunch of the guys in the low seven range. Um, and, I haven't looked at the contest yet for DraftKings, so that's one thing I need to do is just try to understand if it's going to be set up to be a like good MME week or if it's going to be a, a three max week. And um, if it is a, a MME week, then I would probably take more aggressive stands at the top end with like a, a Rose, Rom, or Cantlay, and then spread out some of my exposure in the seven K range. And then just get all of the JT Poston you possibly could. 
<laughs> I get at least some of it. The names down here are pretty wild. Like there are like good golfers down here. And I don't know the pricing, like this event is just so weird. It, yeah, it's definitely a strange event. And um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, everyone was on Ollie last week. It'll be interesting to see if, if people are playing him this week or not. Yeah. Oh, I mean, Ollie, every time he's in the field, people play that guy. Yeah. Yeah, and then the other thing I mentioned, just I'm trying to figure out where to set the threshold. Like a lot of weeks, I try to set it at like top 20%, like guys who have at least 20% odds to T20. Might drop that to 15% this week. But either way, the bottom of the field, like the top of the field is okay. But with the European event this week, the a lot of top golfers in the world are over there. And then the bottom of this field is is really weak just because of that. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty brutal down there. All right, so before we get into talking about the betting and one and done, of course, want to tell you guys about our sponsor, MyBookie, a great place to uh, to degen some golf bets. Promo code FNTSY gets you a one hundred percent deposit bonus up to a thousand dollars. If you like betting good golfers like Drewby, it's a great place. If you like betting terrible golfers like me, it's an even better place. Now you can bet from anywhere, anytime with the all new MyBookie mobile betting platform. With the MyBookie mobile platform, you'll enjoy the safety and convenience of at-home betting when you're on the go. Try it out today and you'll never miss another winning bet. Head on over to MyBookie.ag and open an account with the promo code FNTSY and MyBookie will match your deposit up to $1,000. A 100% deposit bonus on $1,000. That's MyBookie.ag, promo code FNTSY. So now we have to talk about some betting values. Uh, do you see any values in outriding Rom or Rose? Uh, yeah, I, I do, which is surprising. I think um, most weeks I would say the value on um, some of the top end guys is in there for outrights. And I know people like to bet outrights. So uh, it's something we should spend a bit more time talking about. I know you like to bet outrights in general and it looks like the dave golf uh, model so my book usually has similar odds to bet 365 and we do have our pga betting tool as part of the premium product the daily roto that shows you the odds across five sports books so you can find the best value and it, it seems like rose at plus 900 is still um 31 expected value so even if the model's off a little bit i think there's some nice value there and patrick cantley at 16 to 1 is also showing as a positive value and we don't typically see that a lot of times their model really likes um, like a, a 50, 50 to one or 60 to one shot. And then a bunch of guys at smaller plays at like 175 plus. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting and it definitely seems like there's a little bit of value in betting the favorites this event with how weak the bottom of the field is. Yeah. I think, I think that definitely does make some sense. Like probably um, if you wanted it, if you wanted a good sweat to, uh, to like wait for the, uh, the, the AFC championship game to start. I, I don't think throwing like a two unit bet on Rose is bad. Yeah. And the um, tool also updates during tournaments. So if you're looking to make live betting or you're hedging, the tools are kind of always updating, but those are two numbers that I'll probably play small on outrights. Um, in general, I think like there's kind of two groups of, of golf bettors, right? There's people who are betting, obviously everyone's betting for fun and entertainment, but I think people who bet outrights are doing it like more for entertainment and hoping to hit like a big score. Whereas like the top 20 is a lot of times there's more value. Um, and then because it's something that's more likely to happen then from like a bankroll management perspective, you could place bigger wagers on top 20s than you can on outrights. And so if you're trying to kind of grow a bankroll consistently, then the top 20 markets might be a decent place to start. 
Yeah, I, I actually I actually have been doing a little bit of the T20s using the data golf stuff and I've had some uh, some like decent success with it. It's it's nice to it's nice to book some wins when you're when you're sitting there punting all your money on outrights. Yeah, the crazy thing is, um, and I need to get Leone to start betting on Sportsbook again with our fund, but like even just comparing the odds across the sites early in the week, there's some egregious lines out there. So um, like there's a bunch of golfers that are 25 to one to T20 on Sportsbook that are like nine or, or 10 to one to T20 and bet 365. And so, um, yeah, there's like a lot of value out there early in the week, even if you weren't to take like data golf's numbers and you're to take the market numbers, there's still like a ton of value compared to the market. And I think bet 365 is generally a, a decently sharp um, book as it relates to their lines. And so having the tool to compare all that kind of stuff just really illustrates how, how much um, or how important it is to try to get the best of the number by betting as early in the week as possible. Yeah. I, uh, I generally agree with, um, with all of that. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I have any, the only, the only guys I think I I've already bet Luke list as previously mentioned. And I bet, I bet will it as well. Yeah. Um, just, I think throw, just throwing away EV out here. Zach, Zach Johnson, 65 to one, I think is, is decent depending on what number you can get it at. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you have any, any, any T fives or T twenties that you're itching to get out? Uh, no, I need to get, I need to get Mike to bet him on Sportsbook before we can give out all the good. Yeah, don't, don't want to move the lines. <laughs> um, how did one and done go for you last week? I had a pretty rough start. I would say got lucky that Grio made the cut. Um, but one of the, the teams that I was trying to attack early went with, um, Justin Thomas and then Grillo made the cut and then Woodland with MDF was a little bit disappointing for me. Woodland was, uh, I, you thought, I told you he was going to be the third most owned and he was the third most owned. Yeah. Felt, felt good to get that one. Right. What, what was Leishman? He was the second most owned, but oh, okay. it, uh, so I took Leishman and it, it sucked though, because five guys T3. So every guy, every guy who hit the T3 took away a hundred thousand dollars from his payout basically. Interesting. So yeah. like, like if he was T3 solo, I think it would have been like, he would have gotten like $700,000 in prize money. And then every additional guy, he had, like had to split that pool up a little bit more. So he made $300,000 on the week, which is still a good start. I'm not complaining. Um, but yeah, all, all the additional T3s were not great. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually shocked um, that Justin Thomas was as owned as he was. And um, I know one of, the, I don't know, maybe people are attacking the first segment or maybe People are just playing really ag aggressive, but it was crazy to see that many people burn JT. I, I don't think that was, I don't think that was really optimal, um, unless you were attacking one of the individual segments. I, using JT was bad. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it was not optimal. I think it was just bad uh, because first prize here was only it was a mill flat. So at some of these other at some of these other tournaments, first is like literally worth. 50% more where it's like one and a half million dollars. And those are tournaments that JT's all going to be like 12 to one at. Yeah. So I don't know that that'll be a, it'll be interesting. And like with the lineup, we were trying to attack the first segment and then like breaking JT. It's like, well, like maybe that strategy needs to go out the window. Cause it's going to be tough to break JT and then not have a winner early on. But yeah. 
Um, I mean, I get it. I get it from the sense of like, if you're just going to like in the, if, if the plan with the aggressive team was to go Thomas Rose and then DJ at Pebble beach, I, I get that. Like I, that makes sense to me or at Tory Pines. How many people had Kusher? looks like 130. Yeah. Not, not as many as I, not as many as I thought would actually, yeah. I thought he would be like the fourth most owned and he was not. Any early leans for you for one and done for this week? Yeah, I think I, I think I might take Rom actually. He, depending on the market you're looking at, he's got like 14% of the win equity. So hold on. So it was egregious to play JT this week, but it's a good play to play Rom. I think I would rather have JT at some of the bigger prize pool tournaments than Rom. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe that's bad though. Yeah. I mean, the but one also we're... this is an even weaker field than the Sony was. The one that we were planning to attack with the top heavy would probably, if JT had done well, probably would have been a, a good ROM play. But uh, now I don't know if I need to alter that one. Um, I, I guess like Luke Liss, he, he's going to end up being popular probably, right? Yeah, I, I actually, what about what about using Cantlay? So I think Cantlay would, would definitely be a, an okay play. I, I don't think there are going to be too many tournaments um, this year right where he's going to be a top five player I would, this might be this might be one of the only events where he would be inside the five favorites in the betting markets yeah, he's basically a coin flip to t20 so like Cantley would be a decent one um i think list would be like an okay one as well like if you don't want to burn a big name um the, pro- the problem with list is that breaks my rule of getting outside of like the 50 or 60 best golfers in the world yeah yeah that's fair um well I'm trying to where, where is list in the world he, he, right he, he might be around that like he might be right around that ranking so maybe it doesn't I in my head I think of him as like the 83rd best golfer in the world or yeah. whatever Dave golf has him 42nd in the world the official world golf ranking 760th so okay so right maybe, yeah maybe maybe man Luke list and one and done that's living on the edge yeah I was curious. I just don't know if he'll be popular because people in the DFS community love him but um, I think Cantley is an interesting one. I think uh, Zach Johnson is I – mean, a lot of people are going to save him for the John Deere, which makes a ton of sense just from a value perspective. But as far except, as, like, attacking – if you are trailing at all, picking Zach Johnson at the, at the John Deere is, like, horrible. Like, if you're, in, you're, if you're in 618th of this pool and you take Zach Johnson at the John Deere, yeah. you're just, like, doing it wrong. Yeah. So I think, like, the, the, the one we're trying to play optimal probably would save Zach Johnson, but – potentially uh, one of the more contrarian ones you could consider somebody like that. I think, I think my plan right now is Cantlay probably need some more yeah. time to think about it. Maybe, maybe Rom, maybe Cantlay. Nice. Anything else this week? No, I think, I think that's it. I've, I've talked myself into being excited about the desert classic cause I'm going to have a really big sweat on, on Danny Willett. If Danny Willett does well, it should be a good week for me. Yeah, and then obviously next week should be a really strong event just because the break between the, the Super Bowl and should be a decent field and really, um, yeah, hopefully hopefully next week will be a good one. Yep. All right, uh, that's going to do it for us here at Daily Roto going for the green. Of course, if you like the podcast, rating and review on iTunes goes a long way and make sure to check out the Data Golf Tools on dailyroto.com. Use promo code FNTSY to save 10%.